Uh, Mark chapter 8 is where we are at. Jesus asked his disciples uh, probably a peculiar question, it seems, at the moment when he asks it. Who do people say that I am? <laughs> a pretty interesting question. Uh, you know, survey. Uh, what do you hear everybody saying about me? What do they think about me? What do they say that I am? Who do they say that I am? A uh, pretty interesting introduction to this section in, in asking that. If you think about asking that question today, that was posed to us now. Who do people say Jesus is today? How would you answer that? I think you'd probably have some people say he was a good person. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more. He's a good teacher. He's kind of like Gandhi or Mother Teresa saying good principles and doing good deeds. Some might even go a little bit further and say he was a prophet. He was uh, somebody valuable in that regard. You just kind of think about what people say about him. It's pretty astonishing how wide-ranged that is. There's still people that say he never existed, even though historically that's completely invalid. We don't even need the Bible to prove that. Interesting, even amongst the religious world, there's a lot of debate and questions about exactly who Jesus is. Some religions will say that God had a physical union with Mary, and that's how Jesus came about. Others say Jesus is a created being, sort of a semi-God of sorts, not the true and living eternal God, but one of a lesser God. It's fascinating to consider the question. As Jesus poses it to his disciples, you will notice that there was also a variety of answers that were being given in Jesus' day as they were posed that question. Verse 28, they tell him, well, some say you're John the Baptist. And some of them may say you're, you're Elijah. And some of them would also say in verse 28 there, you're, you're one of the prophets. Multiple answers even in that day and time as to who Jesus is. But I want you to notice what Jesus does next. Rather than disputing all of the false answers that everybody was giving at that time, what Jesus then does is he turns to now his disciples and just simply asks, well, who do you say that I am? What do you think about me? Who do you think I am? And friends, that is a very important question. It is a question that I want you to think about through the length of this lesson that we're going to return to it at the very end. Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that Jesus is? That's everything to the question of what it means to be a disciple. You'll notice that in Jesus, as he asked this question of his disciples, Peter answers for himself and on behalf of all of the disciples there in verse 29 and says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Savior. You're the chosen one. You're the anointed one. You're the one to whom all of history has been pointing to. And with that, Jesus just says, okay, don't say that to anybody. But now is going to use that confession and use that basis of knowledge to really challenge the belief of these disciples. Because notice what Jesus does next after asking them, who am I? 
Who do you say that I am? What do I mean to you? Notice in verse 31, he began to tell him that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. After pulling out this declaration, he's now going to say, do you understand what you just confessed? Because now he plainly says, I am going to suffer I'm going to be rejected and not only just rejected by a few people. Notice who he's rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and then I'm going to be killed. Now, for us, we're not really moved by that. Since we're Christians, we know that, right? Okay. Of course, he was going to be rejected. Of course, he's going to suffer. Of course, he's going to die. And of course, he's going to rise three days later. We're very used to that knowledge. (laughs) We're very comfortable with that. But you have to understand the stunning value of that statement at that day and time. You're the Messiah. You're the prophesied one. You're the anointed king, the descendant of David, through whom all the promises of Abraham are going to come. That's who you are. And the very next thing he tells them is, you know what's going to happen to me? I'm going to suffer. And all of the leaders are going to reject me. And I'm going to be killed. That doesn't sound right. You're supposed to rescue the world. You're supposed to be the king. And you're saying that's not going to happen. You see, even still in our day and time, in our way of thinking, freedom in life comes through force and victory, doesn't it? It doesn't come through submission. It doesn't come through giving up of yourself. It comes through going to battle. It comes to taking people head on. This is what the disciples are prepared for. Let's go in and let's do this. You see that in the gospel accounts that you have groups of disciples who are so excited about Jesus. Let's take Jesus by force and make him king. And everything that Jesus ever says is that's not going to be the way it works. Here's how it's going to go. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to rise three days later. That's how it's going to go. That's the situation. That's how it's going to play out. And notice the wording of verse 32. He said it plainly. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's not kind of vague. You know, things might not go according to plan, guys. He doesn't say it like that. It's not kind of, well, this might not be what you thought it's going to be. He just lays it plainly. It's very clear. Suffer, rejected, killed, raised. Watch what happens next. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I want you to think about what that looked like for a minute. It's easy to read over that line. (laughs) Jesus goes, here's what's going to happen, guys. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. Peter pulls. Jesus, come over here just for a minute. Got some over here. And he rebukes him. 
Hard word. Think about that for a minute. He's telling Jesus that he's wrong. Jesus, you are not right about that. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Anointed One. You're the King. You're the Chosen One. You can't be right in what you're saying. Peter rebukes Jesus. Please be stunned by what is unfolding at this moment. You're telling Jesus he's got this all wrong. You don't have the plan right. That's not how this is going to go. This can't be correct. I know you're telling us plainly that this is the way it's going to be, but this is not right. And I want us to recognize that ultimately what we're going to see as we move through this lesson, our big idea is Peter is actually denying everything he just confessed. Ultimately, what Peter is doing is he is denying everything that he just confessed. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the King. You're the Master. You're the Ruler. You're the Anointed One. And you're wrong. (laughs) Those things do not work together. You don't tell the King he's wrong. Especially king of the world, creator of the universe, son of God, anointed one, as promised. You see, this is a very pivotal moment right here. And that's why you read this response that I think as we read it, it it hits me. It sounds like a ferocious response, doesn't it? Look at it as as it says there in, in, in verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. I read that and I go, now just ease off. Whoa. Get behind me, Satan. Yes, that's a ferocious response. That's not now, Peter. I know that you're trying to protect me and I know you love me and I know you care about me. Let's just sit down and work out the details. Let me show you Isaiah 53 again. (laughs) He doesn't do that. It's a strong response. He rebukes him back is what happens. You say this isn't going to happen. That's exactly what's going to happen. In fact, the wording is so strong. You see, get behind me, Satan. You may know that title means the adversary. You're putting yourself in opposition to me. Ultimately, notice the language of how that's put together. Get behind me. You're in the wrong place right now. You're in front of me. You're a roadblock. You are an opposition, an adversary. That's not where disciples are supposed to be. In fact, please think in your mind, what's the definition of a disciple? Follower, not leader. You're not supposed to be in front. You're supposed to be in back. Peter, you are opposing me. You are being an adversary. You are in front of me. You are a roadblock. Get where you belong. Get behind me. 
That's such an interesting, strong statement. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing here, is trying to communicate something pivotal to the life of discipleship. Interesting that Mark records, and seeing the disciples. This is for everybody's benefit. This isn't that we're making an example out of Peter. I don't think Peter always represents the 12. It seems where Peter's at is where the 12 is at. And their thinking is his thinking and his thinking is their thinking. And so this is for all of them. You guys are in the wrong ballpark on this. You've got this all wrong. You cannot be in front of me. You cannot oppose me. This is the way things are. And if you are to be a disciple of Jesus, then you must get behind and not oppose, not resist, not be the adversary. That is, I think, the big idea of what is happening here. There's ultimately here what you see in this that Jesus is communicating. Is if Jesus is the Christ, as you confess, then that means something. And if you confess Jesus to be the Christ, that means you submit to what He says. There's just kind of no way around that. If He is the King, the Anointed One, the Son of God, the Chosen One, the Almighty, the Prophesied One, if He is the Messiah, if He is everything that He has claimed to be, then there is a consequence that comes from that. And the consequence is... You must submit to Him. If Jesus says, here's how it's going to go, then friends, here's how it's going to go. And there's no room for Peter or for anybody else to come up to Jesus, pull him aside and say, Jesus, it's not going to go like that. That's not right. It's a good thing we never tell Jesus, that you know, your whole idea is wrong. You've got that all wrong. We never tell the Lord anything like that. You see, the idea of discipleship is get behind, submit, follow. You're not in front. You don't lead. You're a roadblock if you're in front. You're opposing. You're an adversary. You're against God when you put yourself in front. Get in the back because you're in the way. How does this happen? You know, we're moving along pretty far to Jesus' life here. And in Mark's account, you'd say we're halfway through this, but we're far more down the road than that. We're closing in very quickly on the final weeks of Jesus' life that we're going to get to spend 2019 really soaking in and just zeroing in much of our time on. And so these disciples have been with them for years. How does this failure happen? I believe what Jesus says here is extraordinarily valuable in helping us with that. Verse 33 again. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Here's the failure. You're not thinking about God's things, but your things. You're thinking about your ways, not God's ways. You do not have God's concerns. You have human concerns. 
You're not thinking spiritually, you're thinking worldly. That's ultimately the answer that Jesus is giving. And friends, I submit to you, that is the primary reason why we fall short. If I could boil things down into why we do not submit to God, how we get ahead of Him, how we become an obstacle, an adversary, a roadblock, and do not stay in our proper place as followers, it's because of this big point right here. We are not thinking in terms of God's ways, but our own. My wisdom, not God's wisdom. My think-sos, not God's think-sos. Not what is of His importance, but what I think is important. That's what happens right here. That's what Peter is doing. This can't be right. Let me kind of set this up the other way. And we come to God like that. Well, that can't be right. Let's look at that again. That can't be what's it. And friends, that's where we fail. That's where we stop being followers and we become the obstacle. We become the roadblock. We become the adversary. We are the ones in the way. Because our minds are not on the things of God. Our minds are not on what is of God and His kingdom and His ways and His purposes. But our ways. What we think is the way things ought to go. The way things ought to be in this life. And ultimately what it means, what we think it means to be a follower of Jesus. Watch what Jesus does with this. Watch what Jesus does with this. He is going to show us now, let me really show you what it means to be a follower. He just massages this point even deeper. All right, you're not putting your mind on God's things, but on man's things, human thinking. Verse 35, or verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come to me, come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here's what it means to be a follower. Of Jesus. Here's what it means to be a disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. Not lead, follow Him. Friends, following Jesus is far more than simply identifying yourself as a follower. Yeah, a lot of people like to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow. Okay. But do you? Notice that Jesus defines, you want to follow, you want to be my disciple, you want to belong to me, you want to have this relationship. Here's what you need to do. I want you to renounce yourself and I want you to journey with me all the way to death if that's what it takes. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. What does it mean to take up a cross? We'll probably have no idea these days. 
Today, taking him across means going to the jewelry store, buying a piece of thing and put it on your neck. Taking up your cross meant you're off to the execution place. Go carry your cross beam. Go down your road and go to your death. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple, it's going to be the rejection of our desires, the rejection of our ambitions, the rejection of our goals. It's going to be the rejection of who we are and submitting everything to God. That's what it means. If we're truly a follower, if we're truly a disciple, the idea of carrying the cross means it's the rejection of independence, it's the rejection of all self-sufficiency. That this isn't about me. I am denying self. I am saying no to self. It is the denial of my desires, my goals, my wishes, my dreams. I'm not living for me. And friends, I know that that is the most counter-cultural message in the world right now. Because it is probably the only sin that exists in our culture right now is that you would deny yourself of anything. That is a tragedy. How dare you do that? You should do whatever you want to do and be whatever you want to be and nobody can tell you otherwise. Except the God who made you. He can. You're right, I can't. God can See, this is a big problem. We're living in this air and breathing it in of denying yourself is an awful experience. How terrible it would be to ever deny yourself of your desires. To ever tell yourself, no, this is my feelings. This is what I want. This is what I desire. This is what it's all about, right? And here's Jesus coming in and going, do you want to be my disciple? Or to say it another way, Do you really want to believe your confession that Jesus is the Christ? Here's what that means. You say no to all of those desires. It is a rejection of self-sufficiency, a rejection of independence, a rejection of, well, it's my life, I can do what I want. It's a rejection of all of those things if we're going to truly follow Him. And if that were not enough, I love every sentence Jesus says just makes it worse. Verse 35. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Think about that one for a minute. If you spend all of your time trying to live for this life with all of its concerns and you live not for God's concerns as Peter has just illustrated at this moment but your ways, your thoughts, your concerns, your desires Jesus says you've lost life. You choose to do what you want. You follow your desires. You follow your will. You follow your ways. You follow into all those things. Jesus just says, you won't have life. You try to save it in this life. 
you're actually losing life. The more you try to grab to this life, the more you're losing eternal life. The more you try to make life about right now, the more you're losing eternity. The more you grab onto your will and your control and your desires and your independence and your wishes and your ways, the more you're letting go of eternity. That's what Jesus just said. Oh, how we grab onto this life, don't we? We grab onto this life. It's about us. It's about my wishes, my wants, my desires, my will, my think so's. Jesus says, understand what you're doing when you do that. You're forfeiting everything. You're forfeiting life in that way. Notice he speaks to the reversal of it. But if you will say no to this life, if you will lose your life, if you will renounce yourself and your desires and your ways and your wishes, you renounce that independence, you renounce that control. He says, you know what's happening? You think you're losing life right now by not doing what you want, but you're gaining everything. You think you're making this terrible decision. I'm not doing what I want to do. That's a good thing. Because it's giving you life. You're destroying your life as long as you continue to pursue this life. As long as you continue to pursue your desires and wishes and wills. You're losing this life. You're losing everything. You're losing the life to come, and you're losing this life. That's what makes the rest of this so so amazing of what he says. It is living for eternity and having God's concerns that's going to give us life. Listen to how he shows this is such an empty pursuit in this life. Verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What a question. Now, friends, you can't gain the whole world. You can sure try. But you're not going to get it. And notice the question he's posing to you. What's the point of trying to get everything there is in this life when you're going to lose eternity in the process? Why would you say yes to all of your desires and wants and wishes and concerns and say yes to everything that you want? Give no regard for the concerns and will and ways of God. When by doing so, you lose your soul. You lose eternity. You lose true life. And here's the foolishness of that pursuit. We know it. We still keep trying it. But we know it. What do you get at the end of the day in all of the pursuit of this life? You're still going to die. So what are you going to have a show for it in however old you are? 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. What are you going to have to show for it at the end of that span? Absolutely nothing. And oh, by the way, Nothing in this life is making it to eternity either. It's all going to be gone too. So what have you been accumulating? What have you been living for? What have you been saving? What are you reserving? What are you going after? Why would you go after this life? It's not going to last for you. It's not going to be there in the end. 
In fact, I love how it's how he poses in verse in verse 37. Or what can a man give in return for his soul? You imagine we all get to the day of judgment on eternity and you go, well, Lord, I do have two cars, a house and, and some some equity and some money. Uh, how does how does that get me in? <laughs> I did really well in this life. You know, I gave up my all and lived for it all. So surely now I'm going to gain my soul, right? You know, think about how dumb that is. That what we are doing is we are telling God, eternity of my soul wasn't worth it. My job was far more important. My wealth and my possessions were far more important. My hobbies were far more important. My vacation was far more important. All the things that I like to do, those were far more important. Do we understand how dumb that's going to sound one day? We're going to look really dumb. We spend all of our time trying to grab this life... And it's nothing. And yet we give everything to it. We sacrifice our souls on the altar of wealth and job and family and career and possessions and hobbies and comfort and experiences and entertainment. We just sell our souls to it. And here's Jesus asking the question, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to make that decision? You think that's going to be worth it? What's the gain? What's the value? Or verse 37, what can a man give in return for his own soul? I told you every line makes it worse. Sorry, there's another sentence. Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That is a connection I don't think I ever would have thought of. You know, sometimes we think of being ashamed as merely, will I say something for Jesus or not in public? Notice the connection Jesus makes is that as long as you try to live for this life and you try to gain all that there is in it, you make your decisions not on God's concerns, but human concerns, not God's ways, our ways, that we continue to say yes to our desires, our wishes, our wants, our feelings, what we want. He says, you know, ultimately what you're saying is you're ashamed of me. You're ashamed of me. You're ashamed of the idea of sacrifice. You're the shame of the idea of carrying the cross. You are ashamed of the idea of telling people, I say no because of Jesus. Are we ashamed of that? Are we ashamed to tell people we love God and show it because of the decisions that we make? That we make spiritual choices and forfeit physical in the process? Jesus says we are. As if our concerns are not God's concerns and our ways are not His ways and our thoughts do not become His thoughts, what we're saying is we're ashamed of those ways and thoughts and concerns and values. I'm not interested in that. They're useless to us. 
We live in a time right now where, again, the air we breathe and the culture that pushes on us is the preservation of our reputation. We don't want people to think badly about us. Well, I don't want somebody to think poorly of me. In the scheme of eternity, can I ask you something? So what? So what? Well... Your longtime friend doesn't like you anymore because you love Jesus. So what? Well, people are going to look at me funny. So what? You know, it's not about, well, you know, this is everything there is to this life. Here, Jesus is saying, you're forfeiting eternity when we make those decisions. We're saying of God, I'm not living for you. I'm more concerned about what other people have to say. You know, in chapter 9, verse 1, terrible chapter break, but he, he pushes that a little bit further and under saying, you know, the kingdom is coming within your lifetimes. You, you need to make this decision. You need to recognize that now is the time to make the decision. Who are you living for? Who are you going to serve? It's a critical, critical question. There's an emptiness in trying to save this physical life. It's a waste of time. And yet so often that's what we do is we try to preserve this life and not think about eternity. I want to return now to the question that I asked you at the start of the lesson. Who do you say Jesus is? What is Jesus to your life? And I hope that you'll see that Merely saying Jesus is the Christ is not enough. Peter was ready to say, you're the Messiah. And then turned around and said, you're wrong. Life can't be that way. And Jesus uses that and said, well, here's what it means. Carry a cross. To confess Jesus as the Christ means deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. That's what those words mean. If He is Messiah, Lord, Master, Savior, King, anointed, then that must mean something. And it means that submission is the only response. There's no response of Well, I'd like to follow you, but I have this issue or this concern or this problem. In fact, if you've been in your scriptures long enough, you might remember there's a lot of people who come to Jesus and talk just like that, don't they? I'd like to follow you, but I have this other concern over here that seems to be pressing. And when I take care of it, I'll come follow you. And Jesus always goes, no. I don't care that you need to go home and bury people. I don't care that you just got married. I don't care that you just bought a piece of property. I don't care that you have all these things going on. I don't care that you have a lot of wealth. He just tells all these people always these things. They all want to come after him. And he always goes, you got a problem. The problem is you can't follow your concerns and your desires, your wants, your wishes, your ways. That's not a follower. And I'm afraid that so often what we want to do is we want to get in front of Jesus. And we make Jesus into our image. 
We make Jesus what we want him to be. We make him support our political causes, our political thinking, our charitable causes, our ecological concerns, our cultural goals. Jesus gets thrown into every possibility of, well, that's what it means to be a follower. That's being ahead. That's getting in front of him. We need to get behind him. There's a reason why Jesus is sharp with those words. So easy to walk in front of Jesus and make him go where I want him to go. We're going to go this way, right? Jesus, this is the way we live life, right? Let's go this way, down this path. We'll go this way, right? We want to pull him aside and rebuke him. Life can't be like that. You can't be right in teaching that. You didn't mean deny self. That surely can't be right. Let's check the Greek on that. Can't be deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Surely you didn't mean that. But what about... We don't rebuke Jesus and argue with Him, do we? Let me say something very profound. Hope you walk away with this one. Deep thoughts right here. A follower of Jesus follows Jesus. (laughs) Mind-blowing stuff right there. Took me hours. (laughs) A follower of Jesus follows Jesus can't get in front you can't lead the way and here's how you follow you always set your mind on the concerns of God and not human concerns we need to evaluate who Jesus is to us do you value your soul above anything else in this life You realize eternity is at stake. Every decision you and I make right now weighs in the balance in regards to our souls. Every decision is either of God's concerns and God's ways or our concerns and our ways. Every decision. There's no third option. Everything we do shows we're either following Jesus or leading Jesus. We're either opposing Him like an adversary or we're following Him like a disciple. Every single decision. And the only thing that hangs in the balance of that is eternity. Who's Jesus to you? Is Jesus somebody that you're leading to where you want to go in this life? Or is Jesus truly the Christ? The Son of God? That you follow? That you submit to? That you serve? That you obey? that you submit your desires to, that you relinquish your rights, your desires, your ways, your thoughts, because we follow Him. It's truly an important decision you have to ask yourself today. Who is He really? It's very easy to say He's the Christ, He's the Son of God, we love Jesus. But do we really? I don't know that I would have ever expected a disciple of Jesus to be with him all those years and pull Jesus aside and go, you've got it all wrong. And yet I'm afraid we do that a lot. We make that decision a lot. But what we do is we tell Jesus, no, that's not the right way. This is how we live life. This is what we do. It's my way, it's my life. 
Please think about where you are today. Are you truly a follower? Or have you been leading Jesus and forming him into your own image? I encourage you to put eternity in the balance. How much is your soul worth? Is eternity worth all the things you're pursuing in this life? Is it worth the career pursuit, the wealth pursuit, the hobby pursuit, the comfort pursuit, entertainment pursuit, all the things that we give ourselves to in this life? Is it really worth it? Will that be a good decision on the day when we stand before Him? Or will you make today the day of change? Turn away from those decisions and truly be a follower of Jesus today. Submit to Him with all of your heart. When we put on there, confess Jesus is the Lord, that doesn't mean stand up here and go, Jesus is the Lord. That means He's in charge of everything. We're going to make Him in charge. Why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?